What in the world would cause somebody to reject a FaceTime from God? Well, I'm glad you asked. We are in the second week of a series that I have called Relationships Status. The reason I, I, I use that, it's a play on word, of course. Relationship status is something that they use on social media. I, I, I added the S because last week we talked about love. And if you don't get love right in the beginning, none of your relationships are ever going to work. This week we're going to talk about uh, the most important relationship that you will ever experience in your life. And that is the relationship you have with God. Next week, we're going to cover a lot of relationships. They're all going to be vertical. They're all going to be human. We're going to have a good time most of the time. Sometimes you'll get offended and upset with me because next week, uh, we're going to talk about covenants, flings, and friendship things. So we're going to talk about a lot of human relationships next week and then The final week, we're going to talk about community, our relationship we have as the body of Christ. So that's going to be the the four-week series of relationships status. Uh, This morning, I'm talking about it's complicated. It's complicated. On Facebook, people select their relationship status, and some of them make sense. Uh, You know, like married. After 30 years, that would make sense to me. Almost sometimes. I mean, I, I, I almost understand being married after 30 years. Single, I understood, but it's been so long, I don't remember it. Divorce, I've never been there. I don't understand that one uh, too much, but at least I understand it in, in terms of it is a relationship status. And then there's the one that says in a relationship, which really is like we got something on the down low that we really just don't want to have y'all all up in our business about. But the one that always cracked me up is, it's complicated. Because I look at that and I'm like, is it? And if it is, why do you want it? Like, if, if you can express that out of your mouth, type it in your status, and go back to it, Why? It's, it's complicated. But this morning I'm going to deal with this, uh, with this concept of it's complicated. And it's going to be something a little different than what you're used to on social media. Because this morning I am going to start talking about relationships. But we're going to talk about the very first relationships that we ever found in Scripture. And that is going to be, first of all, in Genesis chapter 3. And then I'm going to roll back one chapter and get one verse out of Genesis chapter And I know you've already been standing a long time for worship, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time for the reading of the Word, because we like to honor the Word of God in this house. Genesis chapter 3, if you have one of those old-fashioned Bibles with pages in it and stuff, and if you've got one of the newer Bibles, it'll it'll tell you where it is. But if if you're here, and you've got an old-fashioned Bible, and you don't know where Genesis is, find the front of the Bible and open it. You're almost there already. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God has made. Answer this question for me. What is the serpent here in this story? Satan, thank you. I had two people that knew. The rest of you got an F for today. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Somebody say no. That's not what God said. God did not say they couldn't eat fruit from any of the trees. Okay, so now we know that 
the devil is in the garden talking to Eve, and he's already lying to her. Verse 2, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that if your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Man, that didn't take long. The woman was committed. She saw that the tree was beautiful. She saw that the tree was beautiful. She saw. And the fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree? Whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied. See, what happened was that that woman you gave me (laughs) gave me some fruit. And I, I don't know how long we've been married at this point, but I have learned if she cooks it, I better eat it. And I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Now roll back one chapter to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at one verse in in Genesis chapter. This was before they ate the fruit. Genesis 2 and 25. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. So they started out naked in this story but not ashamed. They ended up still naked, but shame had entered the picture. It's complicated. Relationships get complicated when shame moves in. That's going to be my theme this morning, because in Genesis chapter 3, we, when I say we, I mean humanity, we made a mess. We had paradise in Genesis 2 and a mess in Genesis 3. And it was never God's fault. It's going to get complicated in here. Hear how quiet and tense it's already getting? Before you see it, you find three or four neighbors and say, loosen up a little bit. Will you do that? Loosen up a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, we have a mess. It is the epicenter of all of our brokenness. Here in Genesis chapter 3, we call this the original sin. There's a lot of sins in the Bible. There's a lot of sins in your life. There's a lot of sin in the world. But we refer to Genesis chapter 3, this experience here at this tree, as the original sin. 
And I'm going to tell you that my mindset after this many years of preaching this gospel has changed a little bit. Because I came up in the old church where everything was about spiritual warfare and everything was about pointing out everybody's sins. But what I found was the more I preach about sin, the more we fight against sin constantly. And it seems like because we teach about sin and we teach about fighting against your proclivities and your tendencies and your addiction that when you focus on nothing but the negative, you never realize that there's a life that can be lived free from those things. Because every day you wake up just saying, I'm going to fight sin today, I'm going to fight sin today, and you start ghost-busting, looking for devils behind every bush, and you start rebuking the devil all day, every day. Instead of rebuking the devil, maybe we should rejoice in Christ. Maybe we should give... I've still got a reason to praise. Can somebody say Amen. So, so yes, you fight the sin nature. Yes, you fight your tendencies and your proclivities. Uh, but when I ask you, what caused all of that? What caused you to be a fallen creature? Well, you would answer and say, Genesis 3. That's where it all began. And because we focus on the brokenness of Genesis 3, we never realize that God wants to restore the relationship we had in Genesis 2. God wants us to be so close to Him that we are unashamed. And the fixation on the battle against sin constantly reminds us of the negative. And it's void of hope, and it causes you to walk around full of fear and always going back to God saying, I failed again. It's me again. When I first got saved in the old church because it was always about sin, and we had so much dogma about sin, I got saved every Sunday. I came up to the altar and asked God to forgive me, and then I was back next Sunday saying, it's me again. Here I am again because I would go out and mess up and instead of feeling like that, that I could be restored without a visit to the altar every Sunday, I didn't realize that, that my relationship with God was not so petty on His end that He threw the clay away every time I made a mistake. It was constantly hanging over my head like a dark cloud. And what I want to look at through this sermon today is that through the lens of Genesis chapter 3, we lose hope that we can ever get back to Genesis chapter 2. And it ruins my relationship with my father, and it diminishes what Jesus did on Calvary. Genesis chapter 3, anybody got, there's a Bible right there. You know how heavy a Bible is? You know how heavy it is, right? Do you know without Genesis chapter 3, you don't need that book? Like, if it wasn't for Genesis chapter 3, the Bible would be a pamphlet. The, the, the reason that we need the rest of that book after Genesis 3 is because of what happened there in Genesis 3. That's what spawned the entirety of your scriptures. And, and it's frustrating to think about when you re- remember and realize how good we were supposed to have it and how badly we blew it. Can, can I help you? There is so much that goes on in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, that we don't really get a good picture of how it all took place. I mean, think about it. The sky was being made. The oceans were being formed. uh, How the whole planet got vegetation all at one time. That would be something to see, right? I would like more details. The Bible says God said and it was. And He said and it was. And He said and it was. And the most incredible things that ever happened in human history happened in two chapters. 
Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is the most incredible things that has ever happened in human history. And because it's given us a whole lot of facts in a short space, it's really, really short on details. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I thrive on details. I'm a storyteller. I didn't know that until God called me to be a pastor and put a microphone in my mouth. I used to be as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs standing in front of the class trying to give a book report. But once I got a microphone and an anointing, I became a storyteller. And I, I like details because I like to tell stories based on details. But we don't have a whole lot of details. We don't have what I want. I wish we had more information about how life was with God when we were still innocent. How was life when Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with each other and with their father? What were life, would life look like if we were still ignorant of good and evil? See, I'm fascinated by this period in time because you and I see everything through the lenses of that's good and that's bad. And now, in this generation, we're even fighting over those things. Because things we used to say are bad, the world now wants to call good. And the things that we have always assumed were good, the world now says are bad. But Adam and Eve didn't have to distinguish between good and evil. They didn't know anything except perfect. They didn't know evil, but they also didn't know good because they had something better than good. They had God. And if you've got God, He is greater than good. Somebody say amen if you know that. And that's why this tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree was called the knowledge of two things that they had never experienced before. And we wish, or I do anyway, that I had about 10 or 15 chapters on how lush the garden was. I mean, what kind of fruit was they eating? What was the temperature in the garden? I believe it was 68 perfect. 68 in the morning, 68 in the noontime, 68 when the sun went down. That's what I believe. Now, my wife says, no, I like about 83. Okay, all you people clapping, y'all are not invited to my garden. Okay, because I got a perfect garden and y'all making me sweat. Okay, I wish I had about 10 or 11 chapters that told me uh, about uh, the creation and, and about how God formed man and, and that he went into great details. Do you have to understand something? God made everything out of nothing. He spoke into nothingness and created everything. And as beautiful as the world is, you see things like the Grand Canyon and, and you see a perfect sunset and you're like, that's beautiful. God made all of that with just His Word. And God went through all the trouble to not only create it, but He made the atmosphere so we could breathe and He made the water so we could drink and He provided the lushness of the garden so we could eat. And then He took the time to bend down into the clay and pick up a piece of clay and formed it and shaped it, molded it into his own image and likeness. And then he, whoo, he ruach, he breathed his own air into that formless void and whoo, a man snapped to life. And then one day he caused that man to go into a deep sleep. He performed sur the very first surgery and opened up his side, took out a rib and made woman from that rib. In two chapters, all of that took place. And then chapter three, we goofed it all up. I can't stand y'all. I mean, they had perfection. And all they had to do was not eat from that tree. 
when I get to heaven, I've sang songs about it. I've read scriptures about it. But when I get to heaven and he wipes every tear from my eyes, that's what the Bible says he's going to do. All these people that was already at the altar this morning with tears flowing, God himself will wipe away every tear. First thing's going to happen when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit through a replay of my whole life. And no doubt there's some stuff in there that I don't want to see again. There's some stuff in there I won't be comfortable watching in church. But I'm also going to witness for the first time how through all those times the grace of God was there. How I didn't even know it at the time, but he was carrying me when I wasn't even looking for him. And I'm going to praise the Lord for all the times he kept me. Every time he received me when I rejected him. Every time he showed up when I wasn't looking for him. And because of the blood, I'm going to enter into a rest that is never going to end. It's going to be forever and it's going to be permanent. Then I'm going to see my Savior face to face. The one who died for me. And I'm going to run up. And I don't know how y'all are going to act, but I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind. Because I'm going to hug him, and I might hug him for a thousand years. What difference does it make? Y'all can wait. If y'all get there first, y'all just wait your turn. Be like the deli. Take a number. Because I'm just going to hug Jesus until I get tired my arms get tired. We used to sing a song, What a day that will be when my... Jesus, I shall say, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. And while he's leading me around, I got some loved ones I want to catch up with because they beat me there. I want to see, I want to see them again. One of the promises of heaven is that my loved ones that went on before me are going to meet me when I get there. Then there's some folks I want to see. I want to see Paul. I want to go see the Apostle Paul and I want to say, hey brother, listen to me. I preached for a long time. I got to know what was the sermon about that was so important that when a brother fell out the window and broke his neck, you had to raise him back to life and then go back and finish that message. I got to know what it was. And then I want to know, Paul, what was the thorn, man? We've debated this thing on earth for a hundred. You couldn't have gave us a hint. Like you, could, you had to just say, I had a thorn in my flesh. You couldn't have filled us in. We have debated that hotly for decades. What was the thorn? I want to talk to them Hebrew boys. I want to shake their hand, dab them up. I want to tell them what an inspiration they have been for years. That they refused to bow to the culture as the heat was being turned up. And then, hey, did Adam and Eve make it up here? Like, because, like, I need to holler at him real quick. Because everything I went through to get here, and all they had to do was live naked in a garden and make babies. And women go through what they go through, having children. And men had to work our whole lives away to provide a living. 
We had to fight the air. We had to fight the ground. We had to fight the sea. All because y'all couldn't survive paradise? Why? I just want to know. I ain't going to be mad at them. I ain't going to like fight them. It's heaven. But I do want to know why. There's three relationships in this story that I'm going to focus on, and it's the very first three. It's the very first of three relationships. God and Adam, God and Eve, Eve and Adam. It's complicated. Well, yeah, it is now. It wasn't complicated. All we had to do was make babies with no clothes. That's not very complicated, guys. But we made it complicated because you had to eat from that tree. And the reason that they ate, all right, I'm going to get serious for a minute. The reason they ate was because they added a fourth relationship. Adam and Eve, Eve and God, Adam and God. There's three. That was the original three relationships. They added a fourth relationship, them and the snake. And if you're going to add the snake to your relationships, your relationship with God will get complicated. I just did a whole lot of preaching right there. If you're going to add the snake to any of your other relationships, your relationship with God is going to get complicated. And listen, I'd love to pretend that I can be mad at Adam and Eve. I'd love to be judgmental of them and say, all you had to do was make babies. Because I would love to feel like that if God gave me that whole garden and told me I could eat from every tree in the garden except this one, I would love to stand up here in 2024, far removed from that garden, and testify to you, well, I know if God gave me a commandment, I would be faithful. I know if God gave me the option, I would leave that tree alone. I would love to tell you I'd be cool eating all the other trees in the garden. But I know me. And y'all, I'm not going to front and act like that I haven't done the exact same thing that I am judging Adam and Eve for. How many times has God told me you can have all of that? Yeah, but why can't I have this one? I mean, it looks good. I don't see any reason why. You, this one would be off. Listen, son, you can have all of that. Well, I, yeah, I know. I appreciate all but. But why can't I? So why I'd like to be mad at Adam and Eve, being who I am, I know how difficult it is to stay away from that. The Bible uses a term to describe the snake. It says he was shrewd or he was crafty. And Eve later tells God, the snake deceived me. Now, we just completed a four-week series on lies. If you were here for the sermon series on lies... But what I want to show you is that there's a difference between a lie and deceit. We learned in that series that a lie is void of the truth. There is no truth in a lie. There, the, the truth is absent from a lie, but deceit uses a little bit of both. That's why deceit is so nefarious. 
Because there's just enough truth to make it seem plausible. While you're actually deceptive in your response. In other words, you show part of the truth, but not the whole truth. What makes deception so dangerous is that you will get curious about the part that is true. And you will let down your guard about what is not. Now, now, what always made me curious about this passage is how the conversation starts. Here's what the Bible says. Eve is in the garden. We don't know where she's at. We don't know where she is in proximity to this tree. But we know that the snake started talking to Eve. And this conversation was like, has God said? Isn't that an odd way to start a conversation with somebody you ain't never met? Like, like he started the conversation with a question. So first of all, I'm like, um, hello? Do I know you? The Bible doesn't say they've ever had a conversation prior to this point. So how do you feel comfortable enough to start a first-time conversation with somebody you've never met with a question? So, so for context, this is like me going to Kroger, and I'm trying to eat a little better uh, at this stage of my life. And I'm at Kroger, and I'm trying to find, pick me out some bell peppers for my steak dinner that I'm going to have later because, you know, I, I'm trying to eat a balanced diet. And somebody I ain't never met before, never seen before, sneaks up behind me with a box of Krispy Kremes. And instead of introducing themselves to me, they'd say, I'd like to know why you can't have these. It's the same concept of what was going on here with Eve. Why me? Why out of everybody in Kroger's did they pick me and say, that chubby boy looks like he likes donuts. Like, what, what, what would it be about me that they would assume I could be tempted by cream sticks? I think I know why. You ain't ready for this truth. The devil can't read your mind. But he will study your behaviors. How would he know that Eve found the tree desirable unless he had seen her? I, I don't know why God said, I can't have the fruit from, from this tree. I mean, it looks like all the other trees in the garden. And man, it's got fruit on it that we don't have anywhere else. There's something. But you know what? God surely knows better than I do. And I will just resist temptation. And I will be happy picking the fruit of all these other trees. I mean, I got all these. I got all these other trees I can. Huh. I mean, I mean it, it doesn't look poisonous. I mean, it, it, it looks lovely, but, but I shouldn't. I, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and I'm going to be happy with what God has provided. The Lord knows what I... But why? Why... why? See, the devil can't read your mind, but he can study how you respond to things. And he can tell what you have a hunger for. So he asks the question to Eve, and Eve answers, but she does not quote God correctly. 
This shows you that you are about you are in danger of leaving his will for your life when you start adding to or taking away from God's word. See, God said, he, he said, has God said you can't eat from any of the trees? Which sounds like cruel and unusual punishment, right? God puts you in the garden and he ain't going to feed you. But Eve said, no, God said you must not eat of it, this tree, or even touch it or you will die. How many of you know that's not what God said? God never told them they couldn't touch it. God said, don't eat from it. God's not that petty for her not to be able to touch it. Why do you think she said, touch it? Because she was already looking at that tree and imagining what that fruit would feel like. She was already looking at that tree and imagining what that fruit would taste like. You know, the same way you do on their Instagram. Y'all not going to help me right there, are you? You start going on those thirst traps and you start looking for and you start looking for the one where he's got his shirt off. You start looking for the one where she's in the bikini. Y'all not going to help me. It's quiet in this mortuary right now, but I understand I'm preaching good. Because you know it's forbidden. And you know you've got all these other trees you can eat from. But the one that you want the most, the one thing you're not supposed to have, is the thing you're thinking about touching. Can I just, can I just touch it? Can I, can I, can I, can I just? The Bible said if I eat from it, I'm going to die. She already had a desire for it. Somebody say yes. How did I know? The, because the Bible tells me. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And the fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then the Bible says that Eve ate the fruit and gave it to her husband. And the Bible says, because listen, when I was growing up, did anybody else grow up with the felt board Sunday school teachers? You had the felt board Jesus. Okay, so, so when I was growing up, we had the felt board. Uh, all the Bible characters for the Sunday school classes was stuck on a felt board. Nothing was funnier for an eight-year-old boy for them to put... Moses in a bulrush up on there, and the teacher turned back, and Moses would face plant. That would crack us up. Jesus got used so much, he wouldn't stick. She'd have to put him up, he'd fall down. She'd put him up, fall down. Jesus on the felt board, or uh, the garden on the felt board, always had Eve and the snake. Adam wasn't there. But the Bible says he ate because he was with her. He was. With her. So I know what happened, but I'm going to tell you what should have happened. What should have happened was Eve should have looked at that tree and picked the fruit. And her husband smacked that thing out of her hand and says, uh-uh, not in this house. Because as hard as we are on Eve, Adam knew what the penalty was. Adam was the one that God had spoke to and told him that the moment they ate it, they would die. But here's the deceit. Are you ready for the deceit? The deceit was the snake said, you won't surely die. And when Eve ate the fruit, she didn't fall over. And Adam is watching her going, what's going to happen? And she said, nothing happened. So now he's looking for an excuse to eat the forbidden fruit because he wants to be wise like God too. 
And if he had wanted an excuse before, now he's got one. Because Eve ate it and she didn't die. And it looks like God doesn't really mean it. When he said they would die and she didn't fall over, it looks like God wasn't serious. And so Adam ate it too. So if you're looking for an excuse to break God's commandments, all you have to do is do a Google search. And you will find a whole lot of satanic scholars who will tell you, why does God say I can't have intercourse before marriage? And there will be a whole bunch of satanic scholars telling you, it's okay. The Bible really doesn't mean that. It was written by a bunch of old men in ancient times and they don't understand our culture. Why does God say I can't have this kind of lifestyle? Why does the Bible say that I can't hate people? Why does the Bible... And there will be all kinds of people that will confirm for you and give you an excuse to believe a lie. The Bible is really, really old. It's written by men in another part of the world. They don't understand this, this generation. Other people will tell you, well, I've done that before and nothing bad happened. As a matter of fact, I never paid tithes and look how much money I have. I don't go to church and I'm a good person. Nothing bad happened to me. Can I stop right here and reinforce something? Just because God's judgment isn't immediate doesn't mean it's not certain. The penalty, God said, if you eat from this tree is death. And they did not fall over dead, but make no mistake, they started dying. How many of y'all in here right now have a cell phone? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. How many of you got a cell phone that's over 90% charged? About half of them hands. Some of y'all in here are like, I'm on 12%. I forgot to put it on the charger last night. I had a late night. Okay. So those of you that's over 90%, let me see your hands again. You got, you got, okay, you're feeling pretty confident right now, aren't you? I mean, you'll watch four movies with 90%. Like, you will get to the end of the Internet with 90%. But can I tell you something? Even though you, some of y'all like 95, 90%, 6%, your phone's dying right now. And, and listen, listen, it's a long way from being dead, but it is dying. Why is it dying? Because it's disconnected from the life source. So, but when you get disconnected from the life source, you may not fall over dead, but you are eventually going to die. So here's what the snake meant. The snake did not intend for them to drop dead. He just intended to cut them off from their source because he knew eventually the penalty would catch up with them. This is why you can't play with the devil. Y'all are going to help me. Because you can get away with sin for a while, and the Bible even says sin is fun for a season. But you can't play with sin forever because eventually the penalty catches up to every one of us. Half my amen committee resigned right there. And then we see that sin opens up the door to the most damaging element to healthy relationships. Shame. What hurts your relationships with each other, with yourself, and with God more than anything else is this word, shame. Remember how in chapter 2 they were naked but not ashamed? Aren't you glad? Like, I don't, I hate what happened in Genesis 3, but I'm glad we got clothes. Y'all would change my whole church experience. 
if y'all was still naked and unashamed, y'all would change my whole church experience. <laughs> Help me stay holy, Holy Ghost. I would make us sing Amazing Grace and nothing else. I don't want no songs where y'all going to start jumping. No. We're going to keep it slow in here. Okay. Yeah. They had no shame. Not with each other. And more importantly, not with God. When God said not to eat from that tree, it wasn't that he didn't want them to follow after temptation. He did not want them to have the knowledge of good and evil. Because when you know the difference between good and evil... You can't feel one without feeling the other, and shame will always come with them. So when God shows up in the garden, the Bible says they hid from him. Why? Because they were ashamed. And look at what shame has done. It's made them embarrassed in front of each other, and it's made them afraid of God. Now their their relationship is hurting, and they are afraid of their Creator. The geography didn't change. Do you know it's the same garden? No, what changed was the relationships. The people are the same. But totally different relationships now. And this is a terrific warning about starting any relationship based on sin. Because sin never travels alone. It always brings shame with it. And you will never be open and honest and completely connected to somebody if you're doing that relationship in a sinful manner. When you're trying to have a thriving relationship with shame in your garden, that relationship is doomed. Uh, This is why God told him not to eat that fruit. He didn't want the relationship to change. He didn't want their relationship to change. So God says, leave that tree alone. Because he knew sin was going to change the way he looked at them and the way they looked at him. And God comes down into the garden and he, he asks a question. So the snake asked the first, the very first question in the whole Bible was asked by the snake. He asked Eve, has God truly said? That was the first question. The next question that's asked by anybody else was asked by God. God comes into the garden and he says, hey Adam, where are you? These two questions reveal vast differences in the characters of the two speakers. Satan's question to the woman revealed his nature. His nature is to deceive. Satan asked his question to manipulate Eve into doubting God's goodness. But God asked his question to restore. He asked Adam, where are you? Because he knew the relationship had been broken. Pop quiz. Does anybody believe God didn't know where Adam was? When he asked the question, Adam, where are you? Well, if he's hiding in a bush, guess who put the bush there? It it was not about geography. It was a spiritual question. He wasn't asking him where you are on a GPS. He was asking where you are spiritually. This is a therapeutic question question God's asking. Where are you? Where are you? God's asking Adam, where are you? And you don't want to know why? Because God says, I can't help you until you realize you're lost. 
I can't save you if you don't realize that you need found. If you don't know where you are, I can't help bring you to myself. And then Adam, Adam is asked the question, and then Adam's answer didn't even answer the question. He said in verse 10, he said, Adam, where are you? And here's what Adam said. Adam reminds me of my Jared when he was little. Because I, I heard Jared listening, listen, listening to a song one time, and I said, where did you hear that song at? And he said, I don't even know where my MP3 player is. I, 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 I. I said, that's not what I asked you. And then he just walked away. As if he could just confuse me into forgetting that I asked him a question. And he would do that all the time to the point where me and my oldest daughter started calling him Google because he had all the answers. And, and, but, he, but he never gave you the one that you were looking for. You ever went to Google and, you say, and you're like, uh, w- w- what is the, the cathedral about? And it gives you every answer except it'll give you the hotels in Weirton. You're like, that's not what I was asking for. Jared was like that. And this is what Adam does. He says, Adam, where are you? And Adam replied in verse 10, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I did not ask you if you were naked. I ask you where you are. Verse 11, who told you you were naked, Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the trees whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? This is another direct question, but look how Adam answers it in verse 12. It was the woman. And at first it looks like Adam is just putting the blame on Eve, right? But if you really carefully read it, he's low-key blaming God. Because he said, the woman, you gave me a defective product, God. Like, like, Adam, where are you? I was naked. Who told you he was naked? Did you eat? She told me it was chicken and dumplings. I didn't know where she got it, God. God God creates a garden. He puts two people in. He says, okay, you two get along. Do anything you want. Eat anything you want. Just don't don't eat from that tree. I'll be back in a little bit. And God leaves. A serpent shows up. And the whole world gets destroyed. The earth is ruined. You ever leave your kids alone in a room for like 23 seconds? And you come back in the room... And somehow they have tore all the cushions out the couch. The potted plant is in the toilet. There's a dog running through the house and you ain't got no dog. Anybody know what that's like? That's exactly how God feels. He, he left two kids in the garden says, y'all get along for a little while and we'll come back. And when he got back, the whole world was destroyed. And Adam's like, I am so glad to see you. God, I'm glad you showed up because this chick is crazy. Like, like... Like, I've been thinking about it. You gave me a defective product. You made her, um, and she don't listen at all. Um, I'm the victim, but I forgive you. And, and, and you two figure all this out. You get me a new woman, and we'll just start over. That's the way Adam's attitude was. And when you read Genesis 2, God said it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he made him a helpmate. He gave him a blessing. And you know Adam thought so too, because here's what he says. When God showed Eve to Adam, Genesis 2 and 23, at last, the man exclaimed. I thought I might get at least one amen from one brother in here. 
God just gave him a naked woman. He said, at last! (laughs) Because listen, up until this point, all Adam has done is named animals. God said, I'm going to make you a helpmate. He looked at the hippopotamus and said, please don't be it. Please don't be it. Please don't be her. Please don't be her. He looked at the giraffe. He said, I don't even know what I'm going to do with that. And he gives him a woman, and he says, at last! This is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh, and she will be called, whoa, man. Because she was taken out from man. Adam has flipped now on her and God, and he's blaming his blessing for his mistake. He said, if you didn't give me this woman, this never would have happened. Imagine how many times in your life God gave you a blessing, but because you don't know how to steward the blessing, you fumble it. And you have the nerve to tell God, God's testing me. Oh, you don't believe me? God did not need me to defend him, but I'll do it this morning. You're at your job that you prayed for. And then because people are mean to you, hateful to you, you you walk around saying, God going to deliver me from Nineveh. Well, why did you pray yourself into Nineveh? Who, you, you believe God has put you, He's put you in a season of testing. He answered your prayer. But because you're fumbling your blessing, you're going to blame your blessing on your mess that you've made. So maybe, maybe you would have thought that you would have waited for a better job before you took this one. But you have to quit blaming God every time you mishandle your blessing. Y- y'all leave me hanging, I got to quit. It's complicated. Relationships are complicated. And for all the flack that Eve catches when God asked her what happened, she answered better than Adam did. The Lord God asked the woman in verse 13, what have you done? She said, the serpent deceived me. I mean, she's blaming the snake, but look what she said. That's why I ate it. Like, she had more self-awareness than Adam did. She told the truth. And if she would have followed Adam's lead... She would have said, Lord, if you hadn't created that snake, I didn't even really want to eat that thing. But because you made a snake. No, she said, he deceived me. I fell for it. I broke your rules. I made a mistake. So it's time for a breakup. It's time for a break. Complicated relationships cause nothing but destruction. It's time for a breakup. We spend a lot of time fighting sin because we're fixated on sin. But we need to get excited. Instead of being fighters of sin, we need to get excited about having a restored relationship. Because that's why Jesus told us that we must be born again. See, see, born again means I have a new start. Born again means I've got something now that I didn't have before. It was an old song we sang when I first got into church. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love and it wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus. I once was lost in sin because I once was Located in sin. 
But Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. I used to be located in sin. But now I'm located in Christ. I wish I had a witness in this church. See, I once was lost in sin. I once was located in sin. I once was completely surrounded in sin. But now I am in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I am a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 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 Does anybody feel new in this place? Like, like I'm serious. Do you feel new or are you still wrestling with that old relationship you had with God? Because my relationship with God has not always been as nice as it is now. I've, I've wrestled with God. I, I, I have, I've had moments and seasons where I wasn't on good terms with God. Not because He didn't like me, but because I had shame, condemnation, and I'd given Him reasons to question who I was and what I'm about. And I'm not saying... Today that I'm sinless because I'm not, but I do sin less. Because if any man be in Christ, I'm a new creature. Stuff I used to have an appetite for, I don't want it anymore. Stuff that I used to go out of my way to get, I want to go out of my way to avoid now. Do you feel new? 1 John 1 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Adam was ashamed. The relationship got complicated. He was hiding from God. Hear me. He was hiding from God because he was ashamed because all he could see was what he did wrong. And he assumed that's all God could see. But God found him where he was hiding from him. I feel dirty. God must assume I am. I feel ashamed. God must be ashamed of me. But God came looking where Adam was hiding. Because while you are ashamed of God, God is never ashamed of you. You, while you're ashamed of yourself in His presence, He is never, he, he loves you too much. The Bible says He remembers our frame. He knows that we are created from the dust of the ground. He understands that you are weak. He understands that you have temptations. That you he said, I made a way of escape, but He didn't say, I'm going to throw you through the door. You have failed God. Make no mistake about it. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have failed God, but God has never failed to love you in spite of it. But the question comes down to this. What will you answer when He says, where are you? Because you don't have to live in your original sin. The enemy wants you so fixated on the stuff that you've done wrong that you are going to miss the benefits of being found. And I lived way too many years of my Christian life fixated on all the mistakes I was making that I was never rejoicing and celebrating on the fact that He had found me, that He looked for me when I didn't deserve to be found, when He wanted me, when I didn't deserve to be wanted. 
Make no mistake about it, the first Adam died with his wife, so the second Adam died for his wife. I started this sermon with a FaceTime from God that the person rejected. But it's time for you to face what you've done. Face your complicated relationship with God. It's time for everybody in this room to face God and face yourself and answer the call. What is the call, Pastor? Where are you? Where are you hiding? Come out of those bushes. You don't want God looking for you. You want to come out looking for God. Come out of those bushes of shame. Come out of those bushes. You say, Pastor, I've been saved. I, I hope everybody in this room is saved. If you're not, this call is for you. Come out, come out of those bushes. But I'm talking about people that have committed their lives to Christ, but you don't rejoice in your fellowship with Him because all you ever do is feel guilty. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You can be free. Your relationship with God don't need to be complicated. He already knows everything about you. Bring it out in the open. Confess it. And God will forgive it. And you can move on. I I didn't intend to go here, but let's just do it. Every person in this room that loves Jesus, but you've got unconfessed, hidden sin in your life you need to come to this altar this morning because the enemy is using shame to separate you and make your relationship with your father complicated it doesn't need to be that way if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you he will cleanse you he will make you clean. Some of you have loved Jesus for a long time but never felt clean. This is your day. This is your call. Come out, come out wherever you are. Come out of them bushes. God is asking the question this morning, where are you? Are you as close to God as you want it to be? Or, or, or do, when you get in your prayer closet, you're like, eh, I'm a little bit complicated. You don't have to be that way. God wants to restore and renew today. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Let's start fighting. Want, I don't want anybody to leave this church this morning until you feel new. I want to feel rejuvenated. I want to feel alive. I want to feel like I can go before God with nothing. I want to be unashamed. I don't want there to be anything between me and God. I don't want there to be friction. I don't want there to be animosity. I don't want there to be something I'm hiding. Like like a little kid when you say, hey, did you get in a cookie jar? And they're hiding it behind their back. Like you don't know. Because the cookie crumbs and the chocolate's all over their face. You didn't ask the question. Did you get in the cookies because you weren't sure? You wanted them to face what they did. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Pastor, if I go up to that altar, people are going to think about me. Yeah, they're going to think that you are coming to your Father because that's exactly where you need to be. And us and the angels are going to rejoice because somebody has come home. I I don't want somebody to think I've got something... Why would you care what anybody else thinks about you? I'm talking about the most complicated relationship in the world is the one between you and God, the creator that knows everything about you. It's hard to hide anything from somebody that sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. He already knows. All you got to do is come to the place where you say, I want to confess it because I want to feel new. I want cleanse from my unrighteousness. 
I'm not going to belabor this because I preached it as long as I need to, but if if you're here and, and you need to make an amends with your Father, I want you to come to this altar this morning. I don't want it to be complicated anymore, God. I just... I want to be able to pray and not feel ashamed. I want to be able to praise and feel new. I don't want there to be anything that is tripping me up. If it means that you're not happy with something, God, help me to have the strength to reject it. I want you above everything else. Come out come out wherever you are today's the last day your relationship with God has to be complicated 